Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Route, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, Joe, Aaron's, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America coming to us from the heart of Michigan. Joe Aaron's, how are you looking good, Joe? Well, thanks for so early in the morning, as are you. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm looking so good, but that's beside the point. Joe Aarons is joining us because he contacted me, thought there was some things that we should talk about. An interesting perspective, Joe is a retired corporate financial guru. I don't, you didn't use the word guru, I just like that word. And then, interestingly enough, his son got into the dairy business and pulled dad along. Isn't that backwards, Joe? Aren't you supposed to be in the dairy business and pull your son along? No, we're doing it kind of back. Well, in a way, we're doing it backwards. Uh, I have always told people, and my greatest fear in that I always had a farm operation myself, my greatest fear was that by the time I would retire, my son would want me to spend a million dollars and get into the farming business, which would be my retirement. And that actually happened. That actually happened. Nothing like your fears coming true. <laughs> uh, before we talk about dairy, what exactly is a, a corporate financial guy? Oh, basically, uh, I worked for General Motors, and uh, uh, I actually I we were I grew up on a dairy farm, small dairy farm back in the fifties and sixties. You know the real the real times. Enjoyed uh, dairy cows. We had a small herd of sixteen or so, and I milked those through high school. My dad was older, and uh, then I went off to college. And, of course, not having an operation uh, to take over, really, uh, I proceeded in, 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 in the financial arena. Uh, went to work for General Motors in Lansing. Uh, had a career there and also always farmed on the side, and I liked the dairy business. Uh, so I was always very close to uh, I live in a small town, lots of dairy farmers. Uh, and so I was surrounded by that. And, of course, my son ended up. Uh, I was quite busy over some years, and he ended up uh, running to the neighbor dairy farm and got his start there and just loved it also. But he went a bit further. He went to uh, become a nutritionist, got a degree from Michigan State University, and uh, and he had a lot of dairy clients and eventually uh, took over my farm and expanded it into a heifer-raising operation. And he just plain wanted to get into dairy. He loved the business. He loved the people. Uh, and so eventually we found a turn, uh, turnkey operation, and uh, we got into dairy. It was a 125-cow uh, enterprise, and uh, he actually he did all the work. He actually built it up to be pretty efficient 400-cow uh, operation. And, uh, of course, then we come into the uh, – which worked great. We had a custom hay harvesting operation on the sidelines, and uh, – it worked great until the, you know, 2010, 11, 12, and so forth. Uh, prices uh, started declining, and uh, he kind of, uh, you know, we became a little bit concerned. And, of course, it got worse and worse. We only had uh, two profitable years in the last 10. Uh, and so uh, I actually got involved with the dairy group. I was kind of looking into the situation and found that w- with my background that a lot of a lot of the things that were going on with cooperatives and with uh, national dairy policy and so forth uh, 
it did not seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. And uh, so consequently, I found a group. Uh, I'm, I'm a director now of National Dairy Producers Organization. Uh, that's actually we're a, a group of grassroots dairy farmers for the most part uh, that are dissatisfied with the current status uh, of the industry. And we are trying to uh, <coughs> trying to get <coughs> excuse me, the dairy population to go back to the real purpose of co-ops, and that mm-hmm. is that they should be helping to make dairymen profitable. We feel that co-ops have been kind of hijacked by uh, actually by National Milk Producers Federation and USDA and others uh, to the detriment of, of dairy farmers. So, Joe, I want to get into that more in the second segment. Um, the current status for not only for your son, but all dairymen in Michigan. I know it's no different than anywhere else, but uh, they, you have been dumping milk? Uh, we haven't. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I actually can't answer that question honestly. Mm-hmm. I think milk has been dumped here in Michigan. Uh, we have had a surplus for many years. Uh, we were actually shipping 100 tankers a day out of the state of Michigan in 2018, uh, our powers to be uh, seemed not to do anything about the surpluses. They just kept taking, uh, kept taking all the milk they could get. Uh, never a mention made uh, in newsletters or anything to reduce the surplus. And with National uh, Dairy Producers Organization, uh, our our modus operandi is to get dairy farmers to control the co-ops and then to control the surpluses because we feel that the uh, surpluses, uh, you know, have totally destroyed the dairy prices over the years. And the, the, the virus situation currently is, is, is just magnifying a problem that was already existing. So I, I have had the great pleasure and honor of speaking to dairy groups in Michigan a lot in the past 20 years, 20 years. And I'd like your take on this because I've constantly shared with them, <clears throat> excuse me, I've constantly shared with them that there is not a dairy surplus. There's a dairy underconsumption. And to me, the real answer, I, I just this morning found a story from the Daily UK, actually, Daily Newspaper, talking about really if you're drinking milk, you should drink whole milk. And And we have never really explained the true health purpose to the United States and the global consumer about the consumption of milk, period. And when you are drinking milk, you should drink whole milk. And so uh, instead of framing it as a dairy surplus, I think that we have a dairy underconsumption, which ultimately leads to too much dairy. What's your take on that? Well, I've done a lot of digging uh, on a subject uh, over the last 12 months. And uh, I had, do have some thoughts on that. Uh, I did find out that through the, actually through the uh, checkoff program, through the uh, uh, Dairy Management Incorporated mm-hmm. organization, Correct. Uh, we have, uh, uh, we have, well, we have dietary guidelines that are actually put out by the USDA. And uh, those people, in my opinion, seem to take the research uh, that of their choice uh, I'm a firm believer in science, but I think science is oftentimes tainted. And uh, But they are actually, the dietary guidelines, and this was put in 
uh, by Secretary of Agriculture in 2008, he signed those guidelines reducing uh, whole milk in schools. And as you well know, that's a controversial topic and a sensitive topic because many of us feel that we have lost a whole generation of milk drinkers because the blue watered-down milk doesn't taste very good. And there have been studies that, uh, I forget the number of cartons that are left. Uh, kids have, over the years, they take a sip of this this product and don't finish drinking it. And uh, But actually, this was, was done uh, through the Department of, actually, through the Department of Agriculture in 2008 is when they put those guidelines in. And now there is a lot of research, as I'm sure you have seen in recent Absolutely. one, that, that is saying exactly that, uh, that whole, whole milk is good for you. It's good for the immune system. Even the Chinese, I've seen, have, have put in the mm-hmm. uh, dietary guidelines uh, request requiring their, their, their children to consume uh, X amount of dairy products, which is good. And then in our own country, uh, we seem to be on this bandwagon of, uh, you know, to drink the 1% or low, low-fat milk. This is a, a definitely an area that needs to be properly researched and documented because there's two sides to science on that, and I'm on your side. I'm on the side of the U.S. Cons- the world consumer who's been cheated out of the proper nutrition that they could have had. That, that's the side that I'm on because I, I don't own a dairy. I've never owned a dairy cow. I, I want to get a Jersey cow, Joe, because I don't have enough. My girls need more chores. But I just want to clarify something that you said. Yes, the Chinese have encouraged increased milk consumption, whole milk consumption. But in the last six months, they've actually come out with a program insisting that their citizens increase whole milk consumption because there's science proving that it is the best way to build and maintain a healthy immune system. And as you indicated, apparently there's a virus going around the world that kind of targets the immune system. Joe Aaron's my guest. He's coming to us from the center part of Michigan. I'm coming to you from the center part of Nebraska. We will continue this center discussion on a rollout when we get back with more after this. Yeah, I just want to expand upon that. The Nutrition Coalition continues to fight for the rigorous science behind the dietary guidelines. You need to assist. This is not going to cost you any money. It's just about devoting some time to make sure that the dietary guidelines are based upon rigorous science. That's all we ask for. Get vocal. NutritionCoalition.us. Check it out today. Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Luce alongside Joe Aarons joining us, retired corporate financial guy. Who would ever guess that coming from the state of Michigan, he has two industries that he's been a part of, automotive and agriculture. Uh, in Michigan, that's just hard to believe, Joe. You'd be in those two. Well, actually, the small town I live in, a lot of people, the, the uh, manufacturing is 25 miles away, and a lot of people have jobs at General Motors, have had over the years, has mm. changed somewhat, and then simultaneously run small farms along with it. So right. quite common, actually. It was quite common up here in this area. I, I'm really excited. I have a, a new speaking request, the first one who that came in since all speaking got canceled, and it is in Mount Pleasant, Michigan for September. So get your act together so I can get up there in, in September, Joe. 
okay, we definitely will, and we want to see you up here. And it's not for an Amish meeting, by the way, because I've been to the Amish horse sale there in Mount Pleasant. That's a fantastic time. Are you a horseman? No, I'm not. I have a grandson that is uh, that is in, into horses. Uh, you would like him. He's a, he's a diehard with horses. He just rides, and he's he's been trained and so forth. Oh, I forgot that part that you're a retired financial guy. Nobody that really is a financial guy would be a part of horses. They, those two things don't mix. <laughs> no, we we prefer to sit. We prefer to sit on something else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in front of a desk. <clears throat> there's a lot of people that just won't understand. You shared with us that in the last ten years, your dairy, your son's dairy that you're now a part of has been profitable for two years. How do you do that? <clears throat> well, uh, uh, how do I do it? Well, uh, I'm not asking you how you lose money for eight years. I'm asking you how you continue to be excited about milking cows when it's just not been even able to pay the bills. Well, I'm not excited about it. I'm plenty worried. That's why I've become active uh, in what's going on. Now, my grandson uh, graduated uh, college last uh, two years ago. And he's just a diehard dairy farmer. So uh, I see it in his blood, and, and I see the passion, and and I really am motivated uh, by having a lot of sympathy uh, for the situation that we're in. I think that it is uh, it has been mismanaged over the past ten years. And and let me just tell you what my research is. Uh, yeah, has I'm showed. ready for that. Okay, uh, our co-op uh, here in Michigan, Michigan's milk prices have been the second lowest in the country, according to government statistics, in the last uh, three years. And we have a surplus up here. And uh, again, with National Dairy uh, Producers Organization, I'm pretty well indoctrinated that uh, you're very right. We have to increase consumption. And uh, through the checkoff program, uh, we have spent uh, about $9 billion in the last 37 years uh, for these people to, uh, uh, you know, to to rectify that, to help us uh, through innovation and research and advertising, uh, to sell more of our product. But in my uh, opinion, uh, we have not gotten our money's worth. Uh, they have kind of went off the tracks, in my opinion. Uh, we do such things as fund uh, flag football. Uh, we have the National Football League as a uh, as a partner, uh, they come into high schools and uh, take photos. And to me, a lot of this kind of uh, expenditure is not very wise uh, for dairymen that can hardly pay their bills. Uh, so in, in the process here in Michigan, especially, we have been expanding and expanding, especially here in central Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our co-ops have taken all the milk that they can get. And therefore, we have had, we were shipping 100 tankers a day out of the state. Now, who pays for that uh, transportation and for the, the uh, garage sale prices? Uh, the farmers do. And out of my son's, uh, out of our uh, milk check, they have been taking close to an average of $2 a hundred, which is a lot of money for a dairy operation. Right. Uh, to pay for that surplus. That's why my concern uh, is is definitely uh, around this, you know, controlling the surplus and controlling inventories. Being a corporate guy, I work closely with inventories my whole career, and we put in computer systems 
whereby we would purchase parts into the auto assembly plant and get them on the car and into the dealership uh, within three to five days. A lot of times the parts were not paid for yet. And I see uh, the dairy surplus up here, uh, quite the opposite business model. We tend to have an ocean of milk available and taking more. And uh, consequently, uh, we have no say in the sale selling price. Garage sale prices are very, very expensive. For our farm, they cost, well, $2 a hundred is, is uh, $15,000 a month. This is what we are paying because our, our leadership are not managing the supply of milk coming in. Not even a letter written to dairy farmers to ask and please slow down the production. And I think the reason for that is, Trent, is that co-ops have a tendency to want to have more market share, uh, they want low prices so they can have more retail sales. And what happens is they flush out all the costs of getting rid of uh, the milk. The last person in the line is the dairy farmer. And co-ops of themselves have taken that $2, $1.80 out of the milk checks. And we have no accountability. Uh, we don't get financial records as to how much of that is mismanagement. Uh, how many, uh, you know, how many uh, plant managers, process managers, uh, are not successful? Uh, you know, we pay for all those mistakes, and and being a financial guy, this is a number that we don't control. We control the cost of our of our farms. We control the cost of fuel, of labor, and everything else. But then we get the we get the uh, milk check, and there's this this huge deduction for which we have no real explanation. And so we need transparency at the yeah. co-op level, yeah. and we need real farmers that are running the co-op co-op operation uh, that know what's going on. And as Capra Velstead is the Act 2000, or 19, 1922, I think it was passed, in 1918. And it was basically a co-op was supposed to represent a group of farmers. That was their sole purpose. But they have now partnered with a lot of outside partners and have gotten into that corporate culture. And DFA is a good example. They're the biggest. Before, uh, we, before we go into DFA, Joe, if I could, uh, this week I had a conversation with a dairyman from Ireland, and uh, they're feeling the same hurt, although he told me on Friday that nobody in Ireland had dumped any milk, and he said... Trent, we have a different scenario here in Ireland. All of our milk goes through co-ops, which are farmer-owned, and so consequently it's the farmer looking out for the farmer. And I said, well, you know, that's interesting because all, most of all of our milk in the United States goes through the co-op first. It's a farmer-owned co-op, which is supposed to be about looking out for the farmer. And we have the same exact scenario taking place. And, and so he was puzzled by that. And then yesterday he sent me a note and he said, hey, we've had big changes since you and I talked. Maybe we should talk again on Friday. So I'm anxious to see what he's going to say from an Ireland perspective. But the only reason I shared that story was because that's the intent of the co-op is the farmer. The whole 1918, by the way, was the year of the Spanish flu. But it was also the year that uh, we were really rebuilding an economy. 
That's interesting. I had never thought about that. Put that into context. The economy was flourishing at the end of World War One, and the U.S. agricultural system was the envy of the world because everybody in Europe had been decimated by World War One, and the co-op structure came into place so that the farmer could control his own destiny. And here we are in 2020. Again, we've got a virus, and we see that the farmer isn't controlling his own destiny. So the real question is, how do these co-ops, which I think is where we're going to go when we come back in the second half of the program, how do they regain the management and control? And you threw out a number that I'm going to expand upon, $9 billion that has been spent in dairy checkoff money over the last 37 years, I think you said. And what do we have to show for it? Dairy checkoff is, last I knew, $365 million a year, counting the processor's checkoff. And we still have people, kids who are 80% calcium deficient. Where's the answer? Where's the solution? And that turned into much more of a, a speech than a question, Joe. I apologize for that. But it sets the stage for what is the co-op going to do to regain the control for the benefit of the farmer when we come back with the second half of Roll Route right after this. All right, I just want to quickly remind you that this weekend on Saturday, we will be distributing those 20 pigs for the Pig Challenge program at Exarban Stock Show. If you uh, didn't get to be a part of that but still want to be a part of the stock show or want to sponsor one of these young kids in leadership development, go to Exarban Stock Show 2020. Full details are there on the web. This Pig Challenge is going to be extremely fascinating because at the end of the deal, we are going to take these pigs into some needed areas and feed kids in schools and feed some homeless folks, maybe feed some veterans. We're going to teach kids like they've never been taught before. Exarban Stock Show 2020. We are back at the second half of a Rural Route to Trent Luce in Nebraska. Joe Aaron's coming to us from Central Michigan. Are we technologically working now, Joe? <clears throat> yes, can you hear me? Yeah. Your lips are moving and I'm hearing sound, so I'm assuming it's you. <laughs> that means I'm still alive. Uh, so I'm going to allow you to pick up on that little dissertation I gave. And and, and before, I, I just want to clarify something that really irritates me, and I need all farmers to understand. I'm not anti-checkoff. But I'm anti-checkoff the way that it's currently structured because you mentioned one of our common frustrations is we don't have whole milk in schools. And the dairy checkoff doesn't talk about whole milk because every single thing the dairy checkoff does in terms of promotion, like beef or pork, no different, has to be approved by the USDA. And because of the very guidelines you indicated earlier, will not recognize the rigorous science that entities like the Nutrition Coalition continue to put in front of the USDA Dietary Guideline Committee, but they won't accept that. Dairymen with their own checkoff money can't talk about the benefits of whole milk, even though the science is out there, because the USDA won't approve it. And so the USDA it controls the message about the checkoff funds because it's considered government speech. That's a court ruling by uh, John Roberts, by the way, was involved with that before he became a chief justice. But anyway, it, it's just a mess and it needs to be fixed because we have science documenting that we can improve human lives with the dairy products that are produced. But we can't tell people about how much we can improve them because USDA won't approve the message about things like whole 
milk and fat. So how do we fix this, Joe? What's your vision, your solution? Well, that uh, the checkoff is, is kind of a sensitive topic with me because we have a referendum coming up. And supposedly uh, farmers vote on this referendum every five years. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you what I have found. Uh, the checkoff organization is, is quite bureaucratic. And they do have uh, offices. They have one over here in Lansing uh, funded by checkoff. And that particular office has a board of directors of seven people. Those board of directors are also members of our local co-ops. Okay, so now you've got an organization that is deeply entrenched, and they do a lot of good things for schools. They want healthy kids. They buy uh, exercise equipment, which is good. Uh, they provide veggie carts in these in these high schools. Uh, not veggie carts. They provide breakfast carts, but they have a lot of veggies. And they have low-fat and no-fat milk. And basically, these are our dollars being spent. And as I often say uh, to people, what, why are dairy farmers mandated to pay into the checkoff and have these checkoff nutritionists and what have you go to the schools and take care of the, of the uh, food needs of our students so that they be- can become better students? Isn't the education of students the job of the Department of Education? And isn't uh, providing food to the needy part of the HHS, uh, Department of Health and Human Services? But here, but these organizations have a very strong presence uh, within the local area. And these board members, we have block voting on the referendum. And I don't know a farmer that is that stands supports. Uh, the 15-cent tax, uh, I call it a tax, which is which goes to the referendum, mm-hmm. uh, which goes to the uh, you check know the, the yeah the checkoff organization. So there's there's serious questions there. But uh, to go back, the referendum vote coming in 2022 uh, cannot hardly be defeated. We cannot vote on this thing because uh, it's it's block voting and the co-ops. Uh, in my opinion, are pretty much uh, their policy is dictated from uh, National Milk Producers Federation and USDA, actually, the group up in Washington, D.C. So, you know, we can lead an effort to try to uh, do away with the checkoff, but we will not succeed. It's too deeply entrenched by the, the, the bureaucracy. So, but basically, National uh, Dairy Producers Organization, our organization is trying to reorganize the cooperatives so that we get real farmers with dirt on their boots uh, uh, to run those organizations and then work our way up. Then we can control the checkoff and we can control inventories and and get rid of this ocean of milk if it takes 5% or 3% or what have you. Instead of producing so much milk and then uh, trying to export it, which we are doing, it's just another topic that is kind of sore, but uh, we have been, we, it's another subject, we've been exporting milk at a loss all these years, and they, and they make it sound like that's the great savior of the American dairy industry, uh, and it is not. The farmer is not making any profit on it. Well, I'm getting off topic uh, again, so bring me back. Just to show you how <laughs> misguided this whole deal is, and this is a pet peeve of mine, so I'm just going to go there. Uh, you, you as a dairy export federation, pay past 
executive, or excuse me, Secretary of Agriculture for the USDA, Tom Bilisak, nearly seven hundred fifty, nearly a million dollars, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. And why this is a pet peeve of mine is that I I broke into what I'm doing today when the then governor of Iowa was trying to shut down modern agriculture in the state of Iowa. He was targeting anybody who had a CAFO, including dairymen and pork producers and chicken producers, and his name was Tom Vilsack. He's an, he's not a friend of the farmer, and yet you as a dairyman with checkoff money pay this guy to represent farmers. So who would guess why the, the – and who accelerated the whole dietary guidelines in the school lunch program into the disaster that it is? Tom Vilsack as the Secretary of Agriculture. And you pay him nearly a million dollars a year, Joe, to do what? <clears throat> well, you're opening up a door for me here, Trent. Uh, incidentally, Tom Vilsack's t- uh, 2018 salary was $999,421, so I can get right on the money. This man was Secretary of Agriculture, and to me, he's the poster child uh, for political corruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, he walked right out of a Secretary of Ag job, which paid probably, I don't know, 200000 He walked right into the, lo- not a lobby, but into the checkoff organization with a salary of almost a million dollars. Now, this is exactly what I think the politicians have been saying that we cannot have. It should not be a elected official or appointed official and then use those, those skills and connections that you've got to walk right into a million-dollar salary. So I agree that that's excessive. Uh, secondly, uh, Tom Vilsack, yes, he was the Secretary of Agriculture in 2008, when the Obama administration was set up, and Michelle Obama was very active in the, in the school lunch program. I'm familiar with that because up at our local school, we ended up laying off uh, cooks because when her di- these dietary guidelines came out, kids did not buy lunch in school. They weren't getting anything. So uh, that that's a, another cir- a total circle and something that was not right. Yes, Tom Vilsack uh, was a part of that. Tom Vilsack also did not sign the 990 forms, which is IRS requirement for nonprofits, uh, for four years. And that was a violation of the law. We couldn't even see those 990s. Uh, Finally, they got caught up just before he left the office. So, and I think also he, he, he is, was active with the innovation research group. And I think they came up with this method that we have to have huge manufacturing CAFOs uh, to produce our milk because they can produce it cheaper. Then we can ship it overseas and get our balance of trade in order. So I think there's a lot of things that he did uh, that have have caused the destruction of a lot of small a lot of small dairy farmers. Of which, uh, incidentally, Trent, I have seven empty dairy facilities within ten miles of my house. Mm. These are smaller farmers that that sure. actually went out. So that's uh, my opinion. Just one more. Fun fact about Tom Vilsack, uh, his wife, Christy Vilsack, ran against Representative Steve King in the state of Iowa, and her main, okay, i got to say this correctly, because the Humane Society of the United States, HSUS, did not give her money, but they were actively running ads for her to beat Steve King, so they ultimately funded her campaign. By the way, he did not win, but... Vilsacks and HSUS, the wealthiest animal rights organization in the world, have long ties and go back. And again, all of this while dairymen pay him a million dollars to do what? 
Well, basically, he's he's the guru for world export. So he gets to, in normal times, he gets to fly overseas probably about once a month and enjoy the uh, European tour uh, in his retirement. And I think he also draws a, a pension from the federal government. So, uh, yeah, That's there's a lot of not quite right with this, this picture. Uh, so, Joe, I have a minute and a half in this segment. <clears throat> Where do we need to go from here? I want to I want to maintain our, our, our quest to find solutions as we close out the the program we have a whole nother segment but in this last minute and a half where do we go okay <clears throat> the uh, the mission should be uh again our organization of which i'm very active is trying to get the cooperative boards those are the local farmers supposedly who are quite often most likely kept in the dark we get very little financial information out of our co-ops as a matter of fact, I went to the attorney general and helped some people get the financial data. And, uh, you know, what the uh, letter back from our, our state attorney general to me was that you have to go to your local board and get your answers. No. Well, that, Wait a that doesn't work. You go get your answers from the very people that are the problem? Well, from the lo- for your local co-op, your financial uh, financial information, personnel, whatever. Right. Uh, you have, oh, it's a Democratic-controlled organization. And they have total control. You're absolutely right. And and in our situation, we have a kind of a, a, a dictatorial uh, leader who calls all the shots, and he's very persuasive. And so the board, uh, the board does not really represent. Uh, they dodge their way around any questions, and any usually an answer from a co-op board member to any questions is that it's a personnel matter, it's a, a market proprietary secret, uh, those kinds of answers they get, so they can't give you any information. Uh, it's pathetic. All right. So anyway, Joe, Joe Aarons, I'm going to have to cut in right there. We have one segment of Roll Route left. In the meantime, before I let you go, I want to remind everybody that we have a farmer-driven organization, Lone Creek Cattle Company. This is on the beef side, Joe, and this is where we uh, subscribe and contract our beef cattle the certified Piedmontese system. <clears throat> that contract works extremely well. You get paid for tender beef and you get paid well. $180 over market at feeder calf price. And it's because the Piedmontese breed itself possesses two copies of the myostatin gene. One copy is passed to your calves. That qualifies you for the branded beef program called Certified Piedmontese. Full details about how that might work for you in a normal year. It works for a year in and a year out, but nothing normal about 2020. com for full details. When you go on the website, make sure you ask for Marlon Will. We have one segment with Joe Aarons left, and we will do that right after this. Welcome back to Roll Routes. I'm Trent Lewis alongside Joe Aarons, joining us from Central Michigan. Oh, Joe, you need to move away, from, move, move your uh, your video camera away from that light. There we go. Retired corporate financial guy now trying to find the uh, the financial solution in the dairy infrastructure. You know, my passion is the, the dairymen, and I think about those four dairy farms you said are vacant close to you. Those families, I know those dairy families, they, they didn't do anything but work their ever-living tail off just trying to pave a way for the next generation. And um, because they were so busy working, milking cows, 
there's things on the other end that they think are from a marketing standpoint that they think are being taken care of and it just ultimately gets them in their own pile of trouble so again in this last segment joe we, we focus on solutions and you think you at least have a ripple effect where we can start stealing my buddy's coined phrase a pebble in the pond to try to make a difference that'll help dairymen the men and women who own the dairy cows <clears throat> okay you're leading into a a good subject uh discussion here uh i have we our organization national dairy producers organization uh we actually try to educate and 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 explain to them that they have two businesses to run okay they're running their dairy producing, their milk producing operation, uh, real excellently. They are producing milk, high pounds uh, per animal, uh, excellent nutrition processes. They raise their their feed feed lines, at least up here, corn and alfalfa, uh, all excellent, good stock, and and they're getting production. But the other part, the other business that they need to run, which they have totally neglected not through their own fault, uh, through the fault of dairy leadership, I would say, but that is your local co-op. Uh, everything they produce flows through the co-op. 80% of the milk in this country flows through the co-op. So every dairy farmer should every morning get up and say, well, what is my co-op doing? And get his milk check out and see, now, how are these people doing? Do I need to replace maybe the CEO of the co-op? Do I need to replace the board members? And this is where the problem comes in, in our opinion. Uh, board members, farmers that sit on these, these co-op boards and other boards, like the checkoff boards, uh, they leave their farmer hat at home, and they go in, and they get indoctrinated from the other side, from the top down. And this is not what they should be doing. Uh, a co-op board member should walk into his office meeting and take his farmer hat off and put his cowboy hat on. Okay, and that he should then be sitting there and every issue that comes up at that board, what does that do for my bottom line? What how, what, how does that affect coming, uh, coming uh, the box of my milk check that gives me my net income? And if it doesn't help it, get away from it. If exports uh, at which I say is about twelve dollars, a hundred, twelve fifty, a hundred, we sold four point four billion pounds in 2018 and exports and got $5.5 billion, so it's easy to divide. Uh, it's $12.50 was the revenue for a product that costs the dairy farmer 18, 18, 19, 20, it depends. So anyway, that's, that's, that's the solution, in our opinion, is co-op boards have that authority and they have encouraged producing an ocean of milk and then having these fire garage sales to get rid of it. We say that there's two, it has to be two prompt. Yes, we have to get whole milk back at schools. We have to uh, do a better job of advertising, a better job of marketing, a lot of fancy drinks in the cooler coolers at the local stores. Uh, milk is still pretty traditional. So there's a lot that can be done on that side, on the sales side, but we need to manage our inventories. That was my expertise all my life. Uh, we need to control, make the, uh, the bidder come in and, 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 and do a contract to buy milk, but there be, needs to be enough inventory or scarcity of inventory that the co-ops can negotiate a profitable price for the farmer. Uh, if I can quickly, DFA, my friend did a study on that. He's got a dairy consulting business. 
uh, DFA, uh, he did a 10-year study on dairy farmers of America, the world's or the country's biggest co-op. They made 0% for their co-op members. They made an 18% net return on their 76 partnerships. Let's soak on that for a while. In other words, the co-op has branched out and made all these partnerships with processors and others. And they are looking for the profits in that organization. In other words, if you're a processor, you want to buy cheap milk, right, from the farmers and keep your costs as low as possible, then make a good profit on the retail side. So this is kind of what's happened, uh, stereotype of all co-ops. So you've referenced several times you created the national, one of the founding members anyway, the National Dairy Producers Association. Uh, I've long thought, Joe, that I can't keep track. I don't even have a big enough piece of paper for a flow chart on the number of dairy organizations that exist today. Is the answer another association? Uh, that is a, a very good uh, uh, point to make, Trent, because I have been trying to follow the 990s, which is the only financial information available on a dairy checkoff. There are 50 organizations, 51 stated organizations throughout the country of these dairy checkoffs offices. They each have a CEO. They each have a staff. They each have a board of directors. Now, I'd like to put that all on a, on a I will someday put that on a flow chart. And then there are other organizations within the Dairy Management Incorporated, like Gen Youth, run out of New York. And mm. it's just, get the picture. I get exactly what you're saying. 50, it's impossible to follow. I, I, I can't get my head around 51 different associations that are all making money on the backs of the dairy farmer. Well, what they're doing is they're the local uh, uh, the local dairy promotion offices. Mm -hmm. It sounds good and looks good on charts. And they are basically sending nutritionists. They employ nutritionists into the schools and help teach their, uh, persuade their, their, their youth to use the breakfast carts, which they supply, uh, get the children in school well-fed so that they can learn uh, learn better. You learn. You're more receptive if you're on a full stomach. Because some kids in the inner cities don't get breakfast, so they're doing this charity work on the backs of the farmers, which is good. Which is very good. You cannot vote against. It's hard to vote against a checkoff referendum when you know the good these people are doing. Right. But again, that call should be borne by the Department of Education and Health and Human Services, not the dairy farmers through the back door where they don't even know what they're paying for. Mm -hmm. So, again, uh, just so you know, we're at four minutes. Um, isn't the answer just as simple as I, – I, I'm back to where you talked about leaving the farmer hat and how to take care of cows at home, putting the cowboy hat on. I love the fact that you think a cowboy hat represents the marketing <laughs> entity. Uh, but beside that, the dairyman's not wired that way because I'm thinking about my own grandfather who did milk 12 cows every day. You know, he passed in 2006 at the age of 88, and he continued to say to me, Trent, I don't understand why you don't just stay home and work hard. Everything else will take care of itself. And I think that's our inborn European influences that permeate throughout all of particularly dairymen is I'm just going to work hard and take care of my end, and somebody else will take care of the rest. We have to get actively involved in the rest. That's what you're saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. And and our theory uh, our theory is that I use the example quite often. You could say, for example, milk uh, 12 cows and get uh, uh, $15 a hundred, or you can milk 
10 cows and get $20 a hundred. Very simple. But farmers don't think that way. They look at cash flow and they're good accountants and they, they need to add for their cash flow. But it kills themselves. This kills themselves on the big picture. So and that's exactly the mode that they've been operating in. And the leaders, the dairy leaders, have not educated them as to what they need to do. And they don't. They want cheap milk. <laughs> I do need for you to clarify, because you've been referencing it during the entire discussion, and, and I'm very aware that it's been the divisive dairy conversation since I started hanging with dairymen, which I love doing, um, supply, control, supply management, supply are, are you promoting that we get active in limiting and doing more like the Europeans did before they went away from, and like the Canada has the quota system? How do you see that supply management taking place? We feel that if the co-ops have proper people on their boards, that we could have an organization that could kind of monitor inventories. Mm-hmm. And when the prices dip down, it's time to cut, you know, to put in, at least request. We do not want government involved. Uh, we think that dairy farmer organizations can do that, and they have the right to do that. All the co-ops uh, would take over the National Milk Producers Federation and, and do it properly, then they could control their inventories, and they could control uh, the price that they get at the bottom line. I just want to give a little tidbit for the viewer that might not understand how efficient, because Joe referenced earlier, how efficient the dairyman was. In the early 50s, I believe it was 1951, there were 24 million dairy cows in the United States. Today, we have just short, I believe, just short of 9 million. And yet those 9 million dairy cows produced three times the total amount of milk that 24 million produced in 1951. That's the kind of efficiency and uh, sheer grit determination that the American farmer, and in this case, the American dairyman, brings to the, the marketplace and to the farms. You want to talk about an industry that's green. General Motors, by the way, Joe, wouldn't stop bragging about how green this vehicle was if they were that efficient compared to what they were in 1951. And instead, the dairyman just continues to go about their business finding a, a better way on the farm. But we need the consumer to understand what the dairyman has done. And more importantly, and most importantly, how do we get the message to the consumer about what the dairyman produces and how it improves human lives every single day? Joe Aarons, I appreciate you taking the time. And by the way, we have proven one other thing here today. Mark it down. April 23rd, 2020. We can't teach an old dog new tricks. How many Skype conversations have you had in your life, Joe Aarons? <clears throat> this is the first one, and I had my granddaughter uh, download the uh, download the app. So she got we, me that far. What would we do without teenagers, teenage girls? <laughs> I have three of them. Well, kind of. One's 22. We've succeeded. Uh, Go ahead. Can I sneak in one more you uh, bet. plug here for my group? Yep. If anybody's interested in the topics that we discussed here, uh, National uh, Dairy Producers Organization. I can give you a phone number. Is that okay, Trent? Well, that's fine. 717-799-0057. Call Mike Eby. He's our single employee, National Dairy Producers Organization on the website. Or just have a granddaughter search it (laughs) on the Internet. (laughs) You know, most importantly, folks, the only thing we really want to accomplish today is generate the discussion, get more people talking about controlling their destiny. Hey, the oldest cliche I know, 
How do we become price makers instead of price takers? That's what Joe Aaron's just told us for the last 45 minutes. I'm Trent Luce. We've successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America. Both Joe and myself remind you that all roads do lead to a rural route somewhere in the mitten of Michigan. <laughs>